Heavenly Father, we thank you for this precious time that we can spend looking at your word together. We thank you for the way that you have brought us here this morning, that we have given from our lives so that we could be with brothers and sisters in Christ to examine what your word says about your son. Our Lord, we pray that you would bless our efforts as we seek to understand him better and how we can serve him all the more fully. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I've just returned uh, from being on holidays. I enjoyed my week away. And we stayed at Kaima, as many of you know, in uh, my in-law's place while they're overseas. And being in Kaima meant that we had a wonderful time on the south coast and also able to go up into the southern highlands travelling around. Uh, we did lots of driving. We did, visited lots of different tourist destinations. And that was enjoyable because, of course, when you see other parts of the world, it sort of gets you out of your bubble that you may be in, uh, where you generally spend all your time. And particularly for our kids, we find that, you know, go out and see some open spaces uh, where uh, there are, is nothing but animals and, uh, and empty fields uh, can be restful and peaceful for us. And also, of course, when you visit tourist towns, you get to see all sorts of interesting things and try all sorts of interesting food uh, that is available that you wouldn't you know, normally try. Uh, whilst you're going about your busy life. But we find also that holidays, moving around from place to place, and we did a lot of driving, uh, can be tiring as well. Uh, because, of course, you're in the car, um, you're sitting, and, uh, and in, even though you seem to be sitting and you think that that would be restful, it's not necessarily the experience that you feel. You can also be worn out as you move from one place to another. As you walk around different little towns, it can uh, wear you out as well. This morning, we're going to look at Jesus moving around as well, that he's going to move from one place where he was staying to another. And we're going to look at the reasons why, uh, the reason why he moved on from where he was. We've been working through John chapter 4 together, and we've seen Jesus interact with this Samaritan woman at the well, and then he has interacted not just with her at the Samaritan town, but also with the other Samaritans. And many Samaritans have come to a faith in Jesus Christ as a result of Jesus' witness there. They're quite happy to have Jesus stay with them. In fact, they urge him to stay with them so that they can learn more from him. And we see that in verse 40 of John chapter 4. If you've got a black church Bible, I encourage you to have it open to page 1053 today. Page 1053. As we look at these verses together, and we see in verse 40 that the Samaritans came to him and they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. We see here that Jesus has an acceptable hearing here from the Samaritans. But he doesn't stay any longer. We see in verse 43, which is where we're starting our text today, verse 43 it says, After the two days he left for Galilee. He started to move on. He started to move. He'd originally come from Jerusalem. In John chapter 4, verse 1, we see that he's there in Jerusalem. And he leaves Judea, it says there in verse 3, to go to Galilee. And really he's just then stopped in Samaria. So we have to understand that uh, Judea is the southern part of Israel, Samaria is in the middle as you go north, and then in the far north you've got Galilee, and that is where Jesus is going. So he was in Judea, he's gone through Samaria, he's stayed in Samaria for two days, and now he's arrived, he's going to Galilee in the far north. 
But why would Jesus go to Galilee? Why would he leave for Galilee? Is it for a bit of a holiday? Get away from the crowds? Get away from the Samaritans? Get away from the people in Jerusalem? He's going up to Galilee for a bit of a holiday, for a bit of respite, for a bit of relaxation. Or is he going there to work? Why is Jesus going to Galilee? Well, when we first read this text together, it appears that there's a contradiction between verse 44 and verse 45 as to why Jesus is going to Galilee. Because when you read verse 44, it seems to indicate that Jesus is going to Galilee to work, to experience a bit of hardship. Verse 44 says, Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. Jesus had come from Galilee. Uh, That was seen to be his own country because that's, of course, where Nazareth was. That's where he grew up. And as he comes back, he points out himself, he testifies that a prophet has no honour in his own country. So then it seems like he's going back to a land that's not going to be a walk in the park for him. It's not going to be a nice, relaxing holiday going home. It's going to be a place where he experiences dishonour, where people are not going to like him. But then you read verse 45. What does verse 45 say? When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. We see here that he comes into Galilee and the text says that they welcomed him. So in verse 44 he says people in Galilee dishonour prophets. The people in Galilee will dishonour me because I'm one of their own. And that's what they do to prophets. And then in the next verse it says that they welcomed him. So some people point this out as a contradiction in the Bible. That here we see that one text says this and then another text says this. And you can see that some editor has come on and put things in. And there's contradictions here within the scriptures. Now... Christians then come along and try to say, well, let's try and understand the Bible on its own terms and let's see what it's really trying to say here. And one way that Christians propose that we understand this text to make it fit together is to change our understanding of what it means when it says in verse 44 that he's coming to his own country, to change what it means when it says own country. They propose that we don't see this as Galilee as a whole, the state of Galilee, they say what we need to understand when we see own country there, it actually means Judea. It means Jerusalem. His own country is Judea. And they say that then gets us out of the problem because, of course, uh, Judea has not honoured him and so now he goes back to Galilee where the people really like him. He goes back to his own area. But the Bible never seems to indicate that Jesus is from Judea. Yes, he is born in Bethlehem, which is in Judea, and yes, he's part of the tribe of Judah, he's the lion of Judah. But when they when the uh, particularly John's gospel speaks about Jesus and where he's from, it continues to emphasize that he's from Nazareth, which is in Galilee. And so I don't think you can say that when it says own country there, it's actually referring to Judea particularly as it seems to link Galilee so closely with verse 44 and so and verse 43. Uh, verse 43 and verse 45 five mention Galilee, and then it seems that own country is packaged in between those two and clearly is pushing towards Galilee. 
Some people then say, okay, it's not talking about Judea, but what it's saying there when he talks about own country, he's really talking about Nazareth. Because, of course, Nazareth is within Galilee, and when Jesus is in Nazareth, he doesn't receive a nice welcome. It may be that in other parts of Galilee he is welcome, but in Nazareth, Jesus is not. When he goes home to his own town, he's welcome. So it might be like you're coming to Sydney and uh, you live in a particular suburb in Sydney. No one likes you in that suburb. But when you go to other parts of Sydney, other parts of New South Wales, people like you. And that's what people propose is happening here, that Jesus says that there is no honour in Nazareth for him, in his own suburb, his own town. But when he goes to other parts of Galilee, he is most welcome. And we see that Jesus is not welcome in Nazareth. One example is given to us in Luke chapter 4. And I encourage you to turn with me there now to see this. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And I'm going to read a fair section of this text here to demonstrate that it is possible that we could understand that Nazareth is a place that does not honour Jesus. In verse 14 of Luke chapter 4, page 1018, 1018 of the Church Bibles, we read, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Good reception in Galilee. But what about in the town in Galilee called Nazareth? Verse 16 tells us, he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is another city within Galilee. Do hear what, do hear in Nazareth, another town in Galilee, the one that Jesus grew up in. Do what you did in Capernaum. Verse 24. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. So an area totally out of Israel, Elijah went to that area. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian, not an Israelite, Naaman the Syrian was healed. And then verse 28 tells us how the people received Jesus in Nazareth. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. 
How was Jesus treated in his hometown? They tried to kill him. They didn't just dishonor him with their words. They actually tried to murder him. And there's, if you go to Nazareth today, there's uh, a hill there that most people would say is the hill that they tried to throw Jesus off. There's a cliff face there that they would throw him down and kill him. And so then people look at what it says in John chapter 4 and say, okay, so when it says there that he has no honour in his own country, that means in Nazareth. The rest of Galilee welcomed him and were quite happy with him. And so that's how we can deal with this text. But I find that proposal unsatisfying as well because of the way that it, the John chapter 4 seems to package Galilee in with no honour. In John chapter 4, verse 43 speaks of Galilee, verse 45 speaks of Galilee. There's no mention of Nazareth in the text. And so I think the second option is a better option. I've got in my bulletin there this morning two options. The first is that he went to Galilee because the Galileans honoured him. The second is that Jesus went to Galilee because Jesus was not honoured. That Jesus actually went there because he was not honoured. And although verse 45 seems to say that Jesus was honoured in Galilee, I don't think Jesus was actually honoured in Galilee. Why would I say that? Doesn't the text say when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him? Sounds very nice. They like him, don't they? Why would then I say he went there because they don't honour him? Well, the word welcome there in verse 45 doesn't necessarily mean that they liked him. The word just means received. So they accepted him to some extent to come into their town. It doesn't mean that they gave him a hearty welcome, uh, a big welcome home party for him. No, they received him into the town. They didn't block him at the town gates. They received him into the town. So we, don't just, we can't just say from that one word there in verse 45 that it shows that they honoured him in Galilee. But I also think that if you look at the text and look at John's gospel, and particularly the chapters to come, that it shows that he wasn't actually welcome in Galilee, particularly by being honoured as a great prophet. Yes, they welcomed him in, but why did they welcome Jesus into their town? Why would they welcome him into the towns of Galilee? It's because they were enjoying the miracles that he was doing. What does verse 45 say? When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. And then we get the reason why they welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. So lots of the Galileans had gone down to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Jesus was there. Jesus did miracles. They liked the miracles. They thought, oh, this guy's good. And so when he comes back to Galilee, they're like, ah, the miracle worker's in town. All our sicknesses, the local doctors showing up, we're going to be saved. And what then happens in verse 46 and following? We see that he visits Cana in Galilee and someone wants someone healed. We see that a son lies sick in Capernaum and they beg Jesus to heal this person, this son who is close to death. And then what does Jesus say in verse 48? Does he say, oh, you're such a wonderful people that you honour me here and I want me to heal people? No, what does he say in verse 48? Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. It's a rebuke to the people in Galilee. They've welcomed him in, but they've welcomed him in as a miracle worker. 
And Jesus rebukes them accordingly. And then we see also that Jesus is rejected later on in John by many of the Galileans as well, not because of just this rebuke here. He does heal the son, as we'll look at in future weeks. But we see that when they hear his teaching, they don't accept much of what he says and start to turn away from him. John chapter 6 is a, a part of God's word that speaks very clearly about our need for Jesus' body and blood. Jesus talks to them about the need to eat his flesh and drink his blood in John chapter 6. And then you see that in uh, John chapter 6, verse 53 and following, uh, Jesus said to them, this is page 1057 of the church Bibles, this is in Galilee, he's here in Galilee. What does he say in verse 53? I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And what is the reaction of the Galileans to this teaching of Jesus? Not his miracles, his teaching. Verse 60 we read, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. The people are getting rebuked again for not believing. And then we see... Uh, that many of them actually turned back in verse 66. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That does not include the 12, because we read in verse 67, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked of the 12. And Simon Peter answers him that famous line, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. What's happening in Galilee while Jesus is there? People want his miracles, yes. Do they want his teaching? No. And what honours Christ? A love for his miracles or a love for his words and for his teaching? It's got to be for who he is and what he teaches. Yes, the miracles are wonderful signs that Jesus is the Son of God. But it's his words that give true life, that give everlasting life. And so I think here in John chapter 4 that... The Apostle John is drawing out the contrast between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans love Jesus. Why? Because of his words. We've seen that as we've looked at the text. It says in verse 41 of John chapter 4, And because of his words, many more became believers. But the Galileans, they don't honour Jesus. They welcome him. Yes, they receive him. But they don't honour him as the Samaritans did. And so I don't think there's a contradiction here. I think Jesus is pointing out the fact that he, does, he goes to Galilee not to be honoured, but because people will dishonour him there. And he knows that will happen because of a general principle that's often at work, that people don't honour those that they know best. They don't honour their own people. And that's what he says in verse forty. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. Familiarity breeds contempt. It does it for things that you see every day. That's why I said it's nice to get away for a holiday. You get to see other things. And so then when you come back, you appreciate the things around here, your own place, all the more. 
You can see the same thing, and the first time you see it, it's beautiful. And the second time you see it, you're still amazed at it. But as you see again and again, I think that here with the bay down here at Dremoyne, people love the bay there, but because I see it so often, I start to not really honour it anymore. And it's the same with people. The more you know someone, the often more, the more you can have contempt for that person, and particularly amongst family. I sometimes wonder whether my sisters, my older sisters, will ever take me seriously. I'm now in my I'm halfway, I'm in my mid-30s, 36. I've got a sister who's 38. I've got another sister who's 40. And sometimes I feel like we're still like we're teenagers in the way that we relate to one another, that we still don't take one another seriously because you know all the foibles of the other people, you've seen what they've done when they were a child, and you continue to think of the person as a teenager or even younger, that you're an arrogant, little prideful person who continued to mess with his sisters all the time, and so they don't take me seriously. And we recognise that as well, that you, know, you see that with Australians, they love to tear each other down. They love to cut each other down, love to cut themselves at the knees because we recognise that these are our people and we have contempt for them because we see them so much. It's like when you hear the Aussie accent, you think it sounds dreadful and you mock it, because, but it's the accent that you have as well. And so, although this, and so it makes sense that the Galileans aren't welcoming Jesus because they know him. They know something of him, and you see that in Luke chapter 4. They say, isn't this Joseph's son? We know who Joseph is, the carpenter, and we know his son. How can he tell us that he's the Messiah? How can he read from Isaiah and say that that applies to him? And so they end up getting really furious with him and throwing him off a cliff, trying to throw him off a cliff. He walks through. He does a, he does a miracle there, uh, one to save himself uh, from physical harm. And so although Jesus is welcomed in Galilee, received in Galilee, we recognise that underneath it there's a rottenness. They aren't honouring him. It's like fruit that you see on the outside, it looks good, until you take a bite into it and then you see it's bad within, which is one of the reasons I don't like eating fruit. I never find, fruit's never consistent. You, you're never sure what you're going to get. It's really, you can have one piece from the same batch and it's really yummy. And then you get a second and what do you know, that one's rotten and that leaves the awful taste in your mouth. Whereas chocolate, always consistent. Doesn't matter. It continues to be the same. Never rottenness inside. But here you see that the Galileans are like fruit. They look good on the outside, they're receiving Jesus, but there's a rottenness within. They're not like the Samaritans. They aren't honouring Jesus because of his words. Now why would Jesus go there then? Sounds like hard work. Why would he leave Judea, where people were being baptised in great numbers, and then go to Samaria? where people received him and urged him to stay with them. I think the Samaritans, if they could have, they wouldn't have let him go anywhere else. They would have wanted to keep Jesus for themselves. Why would he leave such blessed ministries and then go to Galilee, where people show contempt for him, where people want to throw him off a cliff? Why would he go where people do not honour him? Well, I think Jesus is just behaving completely in his character. Jesus loves to go where people don't honour him. And he begins that by his incarnation. He is the Son of God. He has great glory. 
in heaven with the Father. But what does he choose to do? He chooses to humble himself and come into this world where he would not be honoured. He takes on flesh. Not an honourable thing to do if you're the God who has reigned for eternity. To take on weak flesh and then to grow up as an infant and then as a young boy and be ridiculed by people. Just to be in this sinful world where people treat children like scum a lot of the time and and they don't treat them properly. People sin against you even when you're young. That's how Jesus was treated when he was growing up. I'm sure that the people in his family, even Mary, who's exalted in other, uh, by other people and they think that she's actually sinless as well. No, she was a sinner too and she would, have been, she would have done things as a mother that were sinful and Jesus would have been hurt by those. He came into this world and grew up in a place where he was not honoured. And then he started his ministry, he receives honour from people, but then he continues to go where he is not honoured, to places like Galilee, where people show great contempt to him and actually try to kill him. And then we see that he continues. He goes to Jerusalem later on when he knows that he will be killed down there, where he knows he will not be honoured. And his disciples say, why are you going there? And he sets out resolutely for Jerusalem. And Thomas makes one of the few statements that he makes in the, in the Bible. He says, let us go with him so that we may die with him also. Just fitting in with Thomas's character. Let's just go with him. He's going to die. Well, we may as well go and die with him. But that is Jesus. He goes where he is not honoured. He came into this world where he was not honoured and he continued to walk to places where he was not honoured, including Galilee, as we see here in John chapter 4. Now, why does he do that? Why the incarnation? Why go to places where he's not honoured? Why doesn't he hang out with the Samaritans and stay with them where they're honouring him? Because he wants people to start honouring him. He wants to go where he is dishonoured so that people will honour him, so that people will believe in him, so that people will have eternal life rather than eternal judgment, so that people will be saved. What does Jesus say? He came for the sick, not the healthy. He came for the unrighteous, not the righteous. So it fits perfectly with his character that he would go where he is not honoured so that he could help those who are sick. He could help those who dishonour God, who do not recognise the Messiah, so that they could trust in him and have eternal life. And so you may be someone here this morning here who does not honour Christ. You have not respected Christ. You have not accepted him as your Messiah then Jesus, if that is you, you're sitting here this morning and you do not trust in Jesus Christ, then he is someone that holds out his hands to you now. You may be in a stubborn and obstinate person towards Christ in the past, but he holds out his hands to you now and says, come to me, come to me, honour me and have eternal life. He does not push away those who dishonour him. Instead, he invites you to come to him. And I encourage you to do that this morning. If you are someone who does not honour Christ, come to him now. Turn from your sins. Trust in him. He went to the Galileans. He comes to you now and asks you to trust in him and have forgiveness of sins. Now, if you're a Christian, what application can you make from this text today? 
Well, we should spend time with those who don't honour Christ as well. We should follow his example. The thing is, as a Christian, you can often get into a comfortable rut where you just spend all your time around other Christians. You make friends with Christians, you spend time with them, and you come to church where you're with Christians on Sundays and at other meetings through the week. And you have very few Christian friends. This can often happen particularly with ministers because, of course, with your job, you're often associating with Christians. And so you don't have much contact with non-Christians. If you're doing that, then you're not following the example of Christ. If you have no time for those who do not honour Christ, then you're not being like Christ because he went where people didn't honour him to the point that people would even kill him. And so we should be careful about simply remaining in the comfort of surrounding ourselves with other Christians, surrounding us with people like the Samaritans who really love us. We should be going to people who dishonour Christ and following the example of Christ. Now that may mean changing everything in your life and going somewhere as a missionary, which is what many people do today and have done in the past, where they change their entire world to go where people do not honour Christ. And I think all of us as Christians should have considered that at some point. Should we go as a missionary? It's not just for the young people to consider that. I think we should all have considered it at some point. Should I be going to a land where they do not honour Christ so that they will honour Christ? Because if I don't go, how will they hear? And how will they then believe if they don't hear about Christ? And how then will they be saved? We should have all considered going to a foreign land to where Christ is not honoured. Have you considered that ever in your life? If you're a young person here today, that's something that you should seriously consider again. Your life is before you. Should you go where Jesus is not honoured? But not just young people. We should all consider ourselves as well. But even if you're coming into retirement, is there such a thing as retirement for the Christian? Do you ever cease from work? Or should we as Christians consider retirement a time of redeployment? You were currently working in one sphere for the Lord. Now you have an opportunity to work in another sphere. And we see this. Some missionaries are people who have hit retirement and are now going overseas because they have financial freedom because of their retirement packages that they've received. And they can have financial freedom to go where Christ is not honoured. Is that something you're considering for your retirement one day? You're planning for your redeployment, not your retirement. You're going to follow the example of Jesus here and go to a place like Galilee where they may even kill you for teaching them about Christ, but you do it so that people will start to honour Christ and start to trust in him. But maybe you're not planning on going overseas, and that's probably the majority of you here today. In some ways, it'd be sad if everyone suddenly fled from Des Moines Baptist overseas. You started to go to China, you started to go over to parts of Africa, started to go to the Middle East, go to Europe. Joel's here alone. Many of you, I'm sure, will stay around. Who do you spend your time with? Do you spend your time with people who honour Christ most of the time? Are they the main people that you speak to? 
Or do you have relationships with people who don't honour Christ? And do you deliberately cultivate those relationships so that you can bring them to honour Christ? Maybe you have a lot of non-Christian friends. That's great. But do you actually spend time with them so that they will honour Christ? Do you talk to them about the Bible? Do you talk to them about Jesus Christ? Or do you sort of tick that box, yes, I have non-Christian friends, but you never actually speak to them about who Jesus is and never seek to have them honour Christ? We should be seeking to bring people to Christ's word. We should think about our friends who do not believe in Jesus Christ and ask them, would you like to spend some time reading the Bible with me? Would you like to spend some time learning about who Jesus is? Have you ever asked any of your friends to read the Bible? Read the Bible with you? Make some comments to you about what they think? It's not that scary. Usually your friend will say, oh, yeah, oh, I'll give that a go. I found that. You think that they'll put blocks in the path. But generally speaking, if they're a good friend, they'll be somewhat interested in what you're interested in and may be willing to read the passage with you or without you and then make some comments. And I don't think we should just consider those people around us who are clearly non-Christians, that we should be spending time with them so that they'll honour Christ. I think we should also consider those around us who may be called Christians but not necessarily Christian. How many people are like the Galileans around you who are saying, oh, yes, 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 I welcome Christ. I welcome God into my life because he'll do nice things for me, just like the Galileans wanted him to do nice things for them. But they really don't honour Christ because of his words. Are there people even in this church that you might be able to spend some time with to see whether they honour Christ truly? Spend some time with them so that they will read God's word with you, pray with you. It shouldn't just be the pastor of the church or the other elders that are spending time with the people of the church, encouraging them to read the Bible, reading the Bible with them. You should be getting together with one another to some extent, discipling each other so that you will honour Christ more. We no, none of us here today honour Christ as we should. We all have room to grow. How does that happen? It's because of other Christians coming like Jesus Christ to us and telling us more about Christ and often that happens easily by just getting together and reading a part of Scripture together and asking some questions as you go through, saying, oh, I found that bit interesting, and what do you think it means there? Have you considered spending time with anyone else so that they will honour Christ? Maybe you do in your families. You, husbands and wives should be spending time together. And with children, yes, you teach them to honour Christ. But what about other people around you? Is there no one? in your life that you could spend some time reading the Bible with and praying so that they will honour Christ more? If you have no one, come and see me afterwards and I'll set you up with someone. Maybe you say, I don't have enough time to do what Jesus does here and go to people who don't honour Christ. You want more time in your life? Here's a tip. Stop watching television. Stop watching television. There's a statistic released just this uh, last month about Americans, and I can say we can extrapolate something about Americans to Australian culture as well. Americans spend 4.5 hours a day watching TV. How many hours a day do you spend watching TV? You want another tip as to have more time in your life? 
stop using Facebook, stop using Twitter. John Piper, a pastor in America, said, Facebook and Twitter will stand... I won't get the quote quite right, but from memory, he says, Facebook and Twitter will stand on Judgment Day and testify that people had enough time to pray. Facebook and Twitter will stand on Judgment Day and testify that people had enough time to pray. People say they have no time to pray, but they use Facebook and Twitter. They have time to pray. You say you don't have enough time to spend with someone else reading the Bible and praying with them. Do you use Facebook? Do you use Twitter? Do you watch TV? How much time do you spend in entertainment? We in Australia, we have so much free time in comparison to people around the world and to people in the past. The invention of the washing machine has saved us so much time. The invention of the dishwasher, if you have one of those, has saved so much time. We have more free time than ever before, yet we seem to be busier than ever before. Why is that? Because we fill our lives with entertainment. Do you want to be like Jesus? Then you need to do what Jesus says here, where he himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country, and so he went deliberately to Galilee. We need to be deliberate in seeking out people who need to honour Christ more, which is everyone. And then, of course, there's non-Christians that really need to honour Christ. Are you being deliberate in working out who is in your life and what time you can dedicate to them? so that they will honour Christ more, so that you're following the example of Christ here. Why should you do that? Why bother? Well, because we want to see Jesus glorified. When we understand how honourable he is, we should want to see people honour him. He's worthy of all honour and praise because of what he has done in our lives in redeeming us. And so it should be a natural outflow of the knowledge that you have of Jesus and the honour you give him that you want to see others honour him. And then another bonus that's thrown in is the joy that that brings. You may see meeting with somebody else to read the Bible and pray with them or to talk to them about Jesus as very boring, as a pain. But let me tell you, as someone who's done it a fair bit, there is a joy that comes with it, particularly if you see them start to honour Christ more. As you see them... Loving Christ. I had someone in my office this week and I was talking to them and they've been reading the Bible and, and through my encouragement over the years and they were saying, I'm just loving Jesus more. I'm just, I'm reading John's gospel at the moment and I'm just, I'm just so taken with who Jesus is. You know how much joy that gave me to hear that person saying that? You can share that joy. If you push someone, if you encourage someone, to honour Christ, and you start to see them do it, there's a real joy that is to be found. Do you want to have a joy-filled life? Encourage people to honour Christ. Encourage people to honour Christ. Let's come before our God now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that Jesus went where he was not honoured, that he came into this world so that people would honour him, and that he went to regions where he was not honoured so that people would honour him. And he came to us in this room. So many of us in this room have been approached by Jesus when we dishonoured him, when we sinned against him. And he embraces us and brings honour for him out of our lives. We thank you that Jesus continues to honour us 
with his presence so that we will honour him despite the dishonour that we do in his presence day by day as we continue to sin. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be like him and go to people who dishonour him so that they would honour him and have eternal life and give us a joy in serving you in this way as we see your name glorified by person after person that you use us to bring yourself glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.